I'm Aaron, that's Will. We are bringing you the passion, tradition and drama of college football to listeners down under. Because we fucking love college football. They hand it off to Johnson, Boise State has won the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Can you believe it? Well, he has trouble with the snap and the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts Jackson and he scores on the last play of the game. Hello again and welcome to episode number 20 for College Football Down Under. My name's Aaron Kemp and I am joined as always by Will. Does this beer have hops in it? Murden. How's it going today, Will? Not tonight. Not tonight, no? No, it's good. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying this. We've gone away from your homebrew. Not that I don't enjoy that, but this is much more my style. Don't know if you'll pick this up, but... On a uh, hot day like today, this goes down like water. <laughs> exactly. And it is uh, definitely enjoyable. That is, uh, yeah, oh, necessary, I feel, in these temperatures. Uh, quick one before we get started today. I know you're a big movie guy, TV show guy. What are you What are you watching at the moment? I need a new show. We've just finished something on Netflix. We're watching The Alienist, which threatened to be good and then wasn't. So I probably wouldn't recommend that. But uh, what are you guys watching at the moment? That's a good question. I don't know. We've got a few things on the go as as per usual. Uh, Always Sunny's running at the moment. Okay. So I don't know. Have you got into the Always Sunny? Uh, not for a long time when I just used okay. to watch it at your place. Of yeah, course. no, that's fair. I feel like Jess would enjoy it. English uh, Jess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. English Jess would probably enjoy it. She, she likes community, so yeah, she does like community. I feel like we're on the same wavelength there. So that's running at the moment. I'm really enjoying that. Uh, the latest season of Ballers, you watch that? I've never seen that. That's with The Rock. He yes. runs that, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a frustrating one, but uh, that's about to come to a conclusion. Uh, I don't know if you watched, uh, what was it called? The Kevin Costner one. Waterworld? Uh, not Waterworld. <laughs> now that's all that's going to be in my head. Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Yeah, so that's uh, based on him out on a ranch uh, that borders Yellowstone National, National Park, Park up okay. out there. And good good watching. Really enjoyed that one. Okay. Uh, might have to check it out. We will see. All right. We will dive now into college football. Uh, just before we get started, we will have a look at the rankings that have come out before we jump into the chalkboard bring out your dead the schedule and championship draft and all the other bits and pieces that we cover uh the first championship playoff ranking college football playoff ranking came out uh alabama came in at one clemson at two lsu at three notre dame at four which was pretty consistent with the ap poll uh, except notre dame and lsu of course were flipped so lsu was four in that notre dame were three uh, any, there's nothing really to report on that. No great surprises, I don't think, Will. Who'd we have at five and six? Uh, Michigan were at five. Uh, Washington State came in at eight. Uh, and I can't, oh, uh, Oklahoma Georgia. and Georgia. Georgia at six. Yeah, correct. Okay. Um, from this point on, we will actually go away from the AP poll because whilst that is important, uh, the AP poll doesn't have the same influence, obviously, on college football that the playoff rankings do. So we'll stick with the playoff rankings from this point out. One other quick note, last week I hinted that Kansas, or I asked the question, could Kansas make a bowl game? And I hadn't checked their schedule at this point, but sorry, Kansas fans, that's not going to happen. You've got three wins and you close the season with Iowa State, Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas State. So, no. Seems unlikely. Seems unlikely at this point. All right. Now, it is scorching hot today. We're in the sweat box. Uh, We will see how we go. Has this studio got air conditioning? (laughs) Apparently not. Apparently not. Don't want that white noise, mate. Going to jump into the chalkboard today. Uh, this is now going to steer towards some stuff that I really like talking about because I find it really, really interesting. Uh, and that is, we're going to d- deep dive into some more uh, of the spread offenses that have existed or do exist in college football today. So last week we had a chat about those people that influence the spread. Today we're going to talk about one of those and that is the run and shoot. Beauty. This is my go-to in uh, NCAA. So the old RNS switch or choice or something. Yeah, Yeah, all day. Uh, So I guess the important thing to remember is that 
the the fundamentals of the spread and the fundamental philosophy of the spread is that you are using the entire width and length of the field. So when you're looking at space to attack, it is not limited to 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. It's not limited to the line of scrimmage. In fact, if you look at Chip Kelly, he often talks about space you can attack in line with a, where a quarterback would be in a shotgun. So you're actually going behind the line of scrimmage to attack people. Um, and, and that's the whole concept. And it was you know spreading that defense out so they have to cover the full width of the field. And this idea means that Firstly, you don't have to have small linemen trying to overpower bigger ones. But secondly, the gaps that you would have to try and create physically in the defense naturally occur as the defense spreads. Those, those gaps that you can run through or pass into are naturally created as you widen the field with more receivers and force those players to get out there. Uh, anyway... In terms of the run and shoot, so this one was conceived in roughly the 1960s by a guy called Glenn Tiger Ellison uh, and was popular all the way through until the 1990s, particularly in the NFL. Uh, But probably the one that potentially made it as famous as it was was Mouse Davis at Portland State. Then June Jones at Hawaii had a lot of success there with Colt Brennan which is going back to probably when you first started watching college That football. was when I really first got into it, and Colt Brennan was the man at Hawaii, just flinging it around the place. But how are the names that you're reeling out here? we got Tiger, we got Mouse, we got June, we got yeah. Colt. These are yeah. brilliant names. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, apparently, it's something to do with the run and shoot. Um, but like most things in, in football, they kind of adapted. Uh, and probably the team that has run it the best was Houston, and Case Keenum was a product of that, and he actually holds the NCAA record for passing yards, uh, and that still stands today, and, and that was a part of the run-and-shoot system. The traditional run-and-shoot has four wide receivers, one running back. We now see teams that run it with tight ends, and there's quarterbacks that are in the shotgun, whereas traditionally it was actually done under center. Uh, and they've actually only got two formations, rough, really. If you'd speak to June Jones, they run two-by-two, so two receivers to the left, two receivers to the right, or three by one or trips. So three to the left, one to the right, or you know three to the right, one to the left, whatever the case may be. Um, but the part of this offense that is critical is that there's not a lot of motion involved because it wasn't about determining deep, the information on the defense before the snap. It was all about determining the information about the defense after the snap. And this is the crux of this philosophy and this is pretty pretty unbelievable when you think about it but in order for this to work you need to have an accurate quarterback you need to have speed on the outside and the reason for this is that every receiver depending on the route combinations but every receiver potentially can change their their route the route they're running on the fly depending on what the defense is doing so in theory The receivers are just running to empty space. They're running to the green grass and then they stop there and the quarterback throws them the ball. Kind of like you would do in the backyard, I suppose. Uh, But that, you know, sounds simple in theory, but to get the timing down of this and to get the receivers on the same page as the quarterback, not necessarily that easy. And, And this timing and adjustments that have to happen, yeah, take lots and lots of practice. So for example, in its simplest form, if you were called on a go route, so you were called on that nine route, that fly that Randy Moss used to run and just run down the field and catch the ball. But you've played some wide receiver wheel. If you see a walked off corner, so the corner's playing at 10 to 15 yards, you're called on a go route. What are you thinking as the ball's being snapped? I wish I had a double move available to me. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could hook up on the curl, let him bite down on that, then roll around and catch a big play. Or you wish you had something you could do because effectively you know that that route is pretty much dead. You're not throwing a deep ball unless you're just... Correct. You know, it's not going in that direction. Um, but what you could do is actually adjust the route. And this is what the run and shoot does, is you adjust the route to always make that cornerback wrong. So... A go route can be converted after the snap to a post. So if that cornerback's playing outside leverage, you can convert it to a post. If he's playing down, you can run it as a go route. If he's got you capped and he continues to sink as you get up the field, you can break it off and make it a comeback route. And depending where the safety is, depending where the cornerback is, uh, you know you can adjust your route. And this isn't always easy. 
And they can have, and, and June Jones talks about it, each route potentially on a particular play could have five or six possible conversions depending on what the defense does. And I just can't imagine the amount of practice that must take. Yeah, it really must take out the uh, standard timing of plays because it's not you know two steps back, three steps back, then deliver to a point because that's not going to work. You don't know where that point is. You need a bit of time. You need to be able to roll out of the pocket potentially and a lot of that and then wait for that read or that space, something to open up and then deliver on that. Yeah, 100%. And it's interesting you say that with that that rollout stuff, that became a massive part of it. Those half rolls became a massive part of the offense and just keeping it to one side of the field. Uh, but I found this uh, a particularly intriguing offense to look at because of just how many crazy adjustments they can that, that they can possibly run. And they did this with, if you see choice routes, switch concepts, and, and a range of other things that they used to do. Eventually, the zone blitz was introduced at the NFL level, and that pretty much killed off the run and shoot. I won't go into the details of that, but that made things hard for the run and shoot. And ever since, they've sort of died a slow death, and offenses in the college game have simplified from there. Uh, but when the run and shoot was humming, 60 and 70 points at a canter. Yeah, especially when you had players, like one or two playmakers that you could focus on as a quarterback. So if you had a good quarterback and they had one or two playmakers on the outside, they know they either just need to get themselves in a position to focus on one of those guys and they don't have to think about anything else. They're just, can I get it to that bloke in the space that he's found? If not, I've got one other option. Otherwise, I throw it away or I tuck it in and run off with it. Yeah, and it, you know, again, has fallen away. There's, unfortunately, whilst there's only two teams currently that run it in college football, one being Hawaii, the other being SMU, that run the run and shoot in not its truest traditional sense, but in a, a way of, of the run and shoot or a development of the run and shoot. Uh, but a lot of the concepts are used week in, week out at the NFL level and at the college level. You will see those... Uh, concepts being run and it's uh, an amazing offense I think it takes a lot of practice a very uh, I guess cognitive switched on quarterback to be able to do that Um, and you know they've done amazing amazing things with it and set a whole bunch of records so that has a look at the run and shoot so back to Case Keenum right I I want your opinion on something here yep so go going back however long, six years when I was at Oklahoma State, I remember he was just finishing up his time at Houston and I had a huge argument at a frat party with some frat dude who was adamant that Case Keenum was going to be an NFL superstar. I was saying, no way, he's a college product, it ain't happening. He was certain star. Now, obviously early on, Case Keenum, afterthought in the NFL, Last year came out, had a hell of a year. He was a top quarterback. This year, he's kind of petered out a bit. What are your thoughts on Case Keenum? And am I in the box seat in this argument six years down the track? I think the evidence shows that run and shoot quarterbacks have been system quarterbacks. And Andre Ware was another one who was really, really successful in the run and shoot. Colt Brennan, obviously, at Hawaii was really, really successful. And both drafted, both went into the NFL, none have had success. It is the same argument that's made for the air raid quarterbacks that they can't process at an NFL level. Uh, They can't run that pro-style offense that's required at that level and that those quarterbacks are system quarterbacks that won't have success at the next level. Now, Case Keenum, however, is. And I'm not saying that's because... I think offensive football's changed in the NFL now. Historically, you never played first-year quarterbacks. You had a, a, a coach who had his offensive system. You drafted a quarterback that hopefully fit that system, and you certainly didn't adapt your offense to suit that quarterback. That's changing now. So I've got no doubt that the Minnesota Vikings... Is it Denver Broncos now? Sorry, at the Denver Broncos. That shows how much I follow the NFL. He was he was there. He was he there. left in the offseason. And I haven't watched enough of their offensive football to know, but I've got no doubt that they run some concepts for him that he would have run in his Houston days. He's it, really struggled this year. He has? Yes. But at Minnesota, he didn't. He no, was he very, really very good, good there. So... Um, it can show you, obviously, the importance of an offensive coordinator and a system to suit that quarterback, and he possibly didn't have that or doesn't have that this year. Is he going to be a superstar? It would appear not, yeah. um, but 
I haven't watched enough of his football to know. People have made the same argument about Tom Brady. Is he a Belichick system quarterback? I think that's a That seems ridiculous, but let's just kind of summarize this and saying I was right in this argument. Okay. Fucking frat douchebag. All right. (laughs) Let's push on. Bring out your dad. Bring out your dad. Bring out your dad. Okay. Talk me through it, Will. Where do you reckon we sit? Okay, so let's have a recap of where we're at in the graveyard at the moment. So last week, we killed off Cincinnati, NC State, and Oregon. All of them had dropped the game week before in the top 25. They were all dead. Yep. There are three other top 25 teams who I believe are now dead. Yes. One who I have a question mark around that I'd love your opinion on. Okay. And then the rest we can run through and you can tell me if there's anyone else in there that's that's probably out. So... Let's go uh, USF, right? They were undefeated. You'd already said chances were unlikely as high as they were. They lost. They're done. Yep. Uh, Iowa, after losing to Penn State, now a couple losses in the Big Ten. Even if they come out of that side, Big Ten won't make it through if they ended up being Big Ten champs. Yeah. They're Agree. Dead. Agree. Texas. So this is a team that we killed week one. Yeah. Then we had to revive. Went all zombie on us. Now losing to Oklahoma State, I think they're done. Done. Even if I, they win the Big 12. Killed them off week one, they're cooked. They were cooked before. So we were, we were right to begin with. Shouldn't have doubted ourselves. Exactly, okay. exactly. Now the one I have a question on is Florida. Nah, done. Done? Done. You The SEC uh, East game, effectively semi well, It's almost like the SEC semi-final is being played this week. Georgia, Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky hold that game over Florida. Georgia hold the game over Florida. You can't now go and say that Florida is better than one of those two teams. Yeah, but what happens if Florida somehow makes it out in the East, right? So both of those two teams drop a couple on the way. Yeah, Florida make it yet. through, and then they play Alabama and beat them. And are SEC champs. Could still happen. Could still happen. I think everything... I think you're a chance then of the SEC, like if that happened in the SEC and the Iowa thing happened in the Big Ten, you got a chance there of, you're taking a two-loss team at that point. Yeah, probably. definitely. Probably. So I don't see it happening. I think Florida are cooked. You, I, I'm, I'm scratching them. I think there's a hard line this week. Okay. I'll, 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 I'm willing to kill them. I just wanted your opinion on that one. So yeah. let's knock them off dead. Yep. So that leaves us with what? The the everything above Florida. That's where teams. the that's where the line is. No 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 no. Everything above them in the national championship rankings. Florida at eleven, so that means ten and up. So UCF, they're the ones done. They're done. They're you, done. You tried I'm, to kill them last week. I, I refused to kill them. Uh, you, they, they 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 went backwards. So when the rankings came out, they've actually gone from the AP poll where they sat in 10th last week. They're 9th this week in the AP poll. They're 12th in the college football playoff Yeah, that's some straight bullshit. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, but they're not making it. And in fact, if you get those two lost teams, they're going in. If you get those that weird scenario where Florida wins the SEC or that weird scenario where Iowa wins the Big Ten... You've got to take UCF. And I don't think that's happening. I think Sorry. UCF as an undefeated team will get in before any two-loss team on the back of two seasons undefeated. If it, if it wasn't for the last year's undefeated season, I, I probably would agree. But I think if they go undefeated this year and it's down to two-loss teams, they're in. I would hope so. It wouldn't shock me to see them miss out even under that scenario. But it's possible, so we can keep them alive. I still think they're cooked. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Jesus. I think everyone above them is fine at this stage. I say fine. They're, they're contenders. There's some teams there that I don't think are going to win it. Kentucky at nine. They've got to be thrilled with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're playing good football. Uh, they didn't score in regulation last week. Did what they needed to do to win. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I personally am drawing a line there at number 10 and down. And now, I am including UCF. You're including UCF. Okay. Now, does that mean that next week that those 10 are going to be... Like, that we can draw the line at 10 again? Possibly not. Possibly the pool gets bigger. 
but pools not getting bigger from here, mate. Well, it, but, if, but if I'm they're saying dead, it, they're it, done. If, what? It's only getting smaller from here. If LSU lose, they're done, aren't Correct. they? Correct. Yeah. What if what if a Clemson lose and drops to eleven? Uh, I don't know. We're talking hypotheticals now. So yeah, we are. I, I would have to assess it at the point. Okay, that, and that's I think a, it only gets smaller from here. Okay, and that's a fair argument. We could do this all day. All right, let's jog on and have a look at the some game previews. We've got a lot of big matchups this week. Let's have a look at them. Yes, let's do it. I mean, if, if you are not willing to get up at 6 a.m., this week and watch college football we as your presenters on this show have not done a good job of selling you on college football just unsubscribe now because you don't connect you don't care enough you're not committing enough this is as good as it gets we've got three a-class matchups at that six o'clock uh, six o'clock slot that i am really looking forward to yeah and i kind of had my analogy last week about doctors and being at university. I've gotten another analogy this week because whilst we've got those big matchups, there's actually some other matchups as well. And I kind of liken this to uh, deciding and organizing on your wedding invites. And that is, and you'd know a lot about being invited to weddings or not. Oh, Jesus. Why are you <laughs> got to bring this up on such a public forum? <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. Uh, but you know when you... I mean, I've never planned a wedding. I'm not married, but you hear about this all the time and it's like, well, if I invite this person, then I kind of have to invite this person and this person and then this person and your list of invitees grows exponentially. And this week is kind of like that because you look particularly in that 2.30 slot and you're like, this game's kind of a little bit interesting. But then if you say, well, if, if you're acknowledging that that game's interesting, then you're kind of saying, well that game has to be interesting too. And then so is that one. And then so is that one. So all of a sudden, whilst you've got some heavy hitting power, you've also got a whole bunch of other games that could pique some interest. And you either, I think, have to ignore a lot of those or you've got to acknowledge all of them. And you need to be you need to be dis- decided and planned before Saturday. That is the only thing I know. I love this. This is great. Hashtag Aaron's analogies. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. That's spot on. You're right. There are there is a lot. There's a lot that kind of piques your interest. And if you start thinking about that, when you go, well, I'm going to want to watch that one too. Yeah. So, oh yeah, I'm with you. And this week, Oklahoma State playing at two uh, thirty. I'll be I'll be getting up to the early slate. Yeah, and I've committed this week. I'm coming to see you. We're going to spend some time together. We're going to have a couple of six a.m. beers, and we're going to watch some football. Let's, let's do it. All right, let's jump in. Number six, Georgia at number nine, Kentucky. Holy moly, it is the, like we said earlier, the SEC East kind of semi-final, SEC semi-final, and possibly the biggest game in Kentucky football history, and I don't think they have much of a chance. David and Georgia. (laughs) David and Georgia. Great headline that I've seen this week. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you're right, battling for the East. That's what's on the line, and... I don't think Kentucky's ever been in this position in football. No, no. Basketball, sure. Not so much football. So this will be a massive one for them. Really, really interesting. And what, you're straight riding Kentucky off? Yep. And the reason for that is they have... Well, if you look at what Kentucky have done lately, they haven't been prolific offensively. They rely on Benny Snell controlling the clock and defense, and they're going to have to do that again. That's their that's their ticket to winning. It has been for this season. That's kind of their MO, and it's fantastic. Teams need identities. You have to have that, and that's important. They've got to keep Jake from off the field, and they do that by running the ball and playing that good defense. But they're going to have to score in regulation to have a chance this week, Will. Uh they may have some success on the ground. Georgia's only ranked 45 in the country. So it's not exactly, you know, a dominating the line of scrimmage for the Bulldogs. But their pass defense is really, really good. And I don't think Kentucky will even break the 180 yards a game that Georgia are giving up on average. Tyreek McGee will play down in the box uh, in his kind of, what do they call it, star role or or whatever he plays there for for. Uh, Georgia, and he'll be nosy in the run, and that'll leave Richard LeCount and DeAndre Baker and J.R. Reed 
to just play on the back end. And they're playing against a, a group of receivers that are lack star power and a passing game that kind of reminds me, you know those like, I'm going to use another analogy here. You know those little roll up like kazoo things you get at parties that when you're blowing them and they like roll out. I don't know what you call those. I don't like a yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah. But you know when you've blown on them a lot and they start like cracking and they just lack a little bit of like oomph? No, I've never had one long enough to, to get through that. Wait, well, you never been to a kid's party with like fairy bread and a and a I try and a avoid that bag, like yeah? the plague. <laughs> well, eventually it sort of deteriorates and starts looking like it's running out of batteries and that's what Kentucky's passing game looks like all the time. Whilst their defense, the Wildcat defense is good, Georgia is going to score too many points, and it's it's. I don't think it's going to be really that close. Really? Okay. Well, here's uh, an interesting one that I found out this week. Wasn't aware. Kentucky has not allowed more than twenty points in a game this year. They're about to. That's an incredible stat. That is actually, yeah. That's that Washington Husky esque. Like we always talk about Washington having the prime defense. Absolutely, but... we know Josh Allen is an absolute oh. star for them. But to not give up more than twenty at the college level is elite. And Georgia are suspect offensively. Jake from has you know had his moments. Don't get me wrong. I He's don't a good pl- buy into that. They had a couple of downish games that were down by national championship level. But they're not down by bad offensive level. They're still prolific. And that's probably fair. I mean, they've scored more than 36 in all but their loss to LSU. So they put up points. <laughs> yeah. But they're not... I don't know. I, I like this being in Kentucky. Yeah, that helps. That helps. Uh, this is definitely going to have things swaying in their favour. And I can see like an old school SEC low scoring slugfest playing out here. And if that's the case, I have to have Kentucky in that ball game, especially if they're focusing on the run, if they're trying to hold on to the ball as much as they can, if they hold onto it for, you know, 35 plus minutes, they're, uh, they're definitely in with a shot to win this football game. Yeah, if they hold it for 35-plus minutes. I don't see them doing that. I just don't see that how they're going to move the ball well enough to be able to stay on the field. Benny Snell got shut down last week at Missouri. And if you're comparing Missouri's defense to Georgia's, I know who I'm taking. So I think potentially if these two teams go... If, if Kentucky got Georgia at the start of the year and Kentucky were up and about, maybe. There's too much film on what Kentucky do. They're too well prepped. They're too well planned. The coaching staff, which you acknowledged last week about Georgia, is too, too good. And Kentucky, whilst their season has been phenomenal, they are, I don't want to say pretending at the moment, but they're in over their head and they're going to find that out on the weekend. Okay. So you're you're thinking Georgia in a blowout? Not a blowout. I'm thinking ooh, 35... Well, actually, possibly. It's going to be two... T- I would say two touchdowns. Like a 35-24, a 35-21, somewhere there. Okay. And, and I think for that to happen, Kentucky, you've got to probably score on defense or score on special teams as well. Or not as well, but they've got to, They're going to have to get some plays on the, on those other two phases of the ball to score enough points to hang with Georgia. All right, I think it'll be a lot closer than that. I, I still think Georgia probably get away with the win, but I think it'll be a close matchup. Okay, let's move on to a part of the world that you are far more familiar with. Let's go to the Big Twelve. Uh, number thirteen, West Virginia, head to Austin, Texas, to take on the number seventeen Longhorns. I don't have a lot on this. I mean, these teams are so evenly matched. There's a one point, one sorry, one and a half point spread. Texas is the favorite. Lil Jordan Humphrey for Texas and David Seals at West Virginia are possibly the two best receivers in the Big 12. C.D. Lamb, maybe, and Hollywood Brown at Oklahoma. But those two guys are fantastic. Uh, both teams give up yards and points, and they're going to do that again on the weekend but both of them score them as well. I don't know where I sit on this one. 
I don't know why I'm leaning West Virginia. Maybe because I was impressed by their defense earlier in the season, but they've gone a little bit quiet on that sense. And the other thing that concerns me is West Virginia's offense does go missing at times. And I don't exactly know why. They just seem to disconnect um, with Will Greer and that, you know, that Heisman hopeful that has now kind of gone down the toilet and he's been forgotten about. But, I mean, where do you see this? Do West Virginia... I mean, West Virginia have obviously got a chance... Where do you see it? Is Ellinger going to play? And uh, is that shoulder come up okay? And can they do enough to beat West Virginia? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a huge, huge matchup. Uh, massive implications for the Big 12 title overall. So Oklahoma have kind of slotted back into the top of the perch now with Texas dropping that game. But this is essentially two and three right behind it. Huge matchup to see who can be you know, in the box seat for that other spot in the Big 12 championship game. And I expect a slugfest as a result of that. Both of these teams would be so keen to have a shot at that. Texas, who've been down for so long, are finally kind of crawling themselves back into relevance. And West Virginia, who were a powerful non-Power 5 team, kind of getting used to all of that national coverage as a big boy in a small pond, haven't really made that jump since jumping into the Big 12, that big step up, and this is their opportunity to do so. So we've got a huge clash to see who can step up and do that, and that's why I think the line's so close at one and a half, because who knows? Yeah, I mean, and one and a half would, everything about that is saying that West Virginia's the better team, I would think, because... It's in Austin? Because it's in Austin. If that's in uh, Morgantown then I don't know what the point spread would be, but it would be, obviously, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven points even. Uh, what are you picking then? Like, where do you think is going to... Who's got the advantage and, and where is that advantage? And is that going to be enough to decide the game? I, I think Texas will win this football game. Uh, I believe that the fact that it's at home in Austin and that they have been trending in the right direction is enough for them to get over a West Virginia team who rely heavily on Will Greer and David Seals to get the job done. Whilst you mentioned earlier their defense was really good at the start of the year, I think that's dropped off a little bit and that's what's hurt them a bit. So they bounced back in a big way last week against Baylor with a huge win there and that would have them full of confidence. On the flip side of that, Texas dropped a disappointing one to Oklahoma State but I still think that Texas had a massive second half. They were kind of reeling right from the get-go. A lot of energy up at Boom Picking Stadium in, uh, in Stillwater last week. And end of the day, they were probably the better football team. It was just the day got the better of them, uh, falling into such a hole to begin with. And I, and I think Texas are a legitimate contender. Like They're, they're a good football team. It's not going to happen for them this year because they've dropped a couple of games. But they have talent, and with Ellinger in at quarterback, I have confidence that this team will be able to make enough plays to get it done. And defensively, they are at another caliber to most of the other teams that West Virginia have played. I don't think there's anyone that they've had so far who's got as much talent defensively that they've had. So whilst West, I still expect West Virginia to score, it's not going to come as free and easy as it would against your Baylors, as it would against... I don't know, most of the other Big 12 teams outside of Oklahoma because they just don't have that talent. Yeah, I mean, good arguments all round. I, I still... Give us a score then. What do you what do you reckon? Oh, it's, it's going to be high scoring. Maybe like a 41-38, 45-41. 41 uh, score is hard to get to, but yeah. Maybe some safeties. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I really don't know. For me, that's that's a coin flip. That's a pick em, And I, I can't disagree with anything you've said. But I'm for some reason, I'm leaning West Virginia. I think they've just got their mojo back a fraction. And it's going to come down to... I think it's actually going to come down to who settles the best. Texas off the loss. Virginia off their big win. Who settles the best and can get into a bit of a groove? Okay, let's, let's do this then. If West Virginia win... Yep. I'll make you breakfast on uh, Sunday morning. I like that. If uh, Texas win, yep. you make me. Okay. 
And when I say when West Virginia win and I'll make you breakfast, I mean Rhea will make you breakfast. <laughs> okay, perfect. All right, let's move into the Big Ten. Uh, number 14, Penn State, head to the big house to play number five, Michigan. Ooh, Penn State, I still don't think you're that good. I don't know how you're ranked 14 in the country. I think you've got massive deficiencies on the offensive side of the ball. I think your defense is very good and very young, and you will be good next year, providing you can find a quarterback. But, gee, Michigan, and we talked about Texas, and you said at the start of the year, Texas and Michigan, the powerhouse is going to come back. And then they stunk it up early, and you were like, whoops, got that wrong. You're actually right. I mean, number five team in the country, number 17 team in the country, and they look like they're on their way up, which is fantastic for those two programs. In terms of this game, though, I think that the Michigan defense is going to completely stifle that run game uh, of Sanders and McSorley for the Nittany Lions. Uh, And the good thing about Michigan is that they get a lot of their work done with their defensive line. Chase Winovich uh, gets most of the love. Uh, at here, well, I can't remember what they call his position. It's effectively a rush end position. I think they call it Viper or something. But Carlo Kemp uh, has been really, really good. And although they haven't had Shard Gary, um, you know their defensive line, defensive line has done a really good job of keeping guys like Devin Bush and Kaliki Hudson clean to kind of roam around and clean up that back end. Now, Penn State are going to have to run the ball. They're going to have to do it successfully. And I don't think they will against such a prolific Michigan defense. Yeah, and I mean, what doesn't help their cause is that Trace, Trace McSorley has big question marks over him this week with a bit of a leg injury. So not too much information around that, but he may not be good to go, which would have a massive impact for Penn State. And I feel for any quarterback who has to come up against this Michigan defense because they are nasty. Yeah. Uh, I think the Lions are, what, 11.5 points, uh, Michigan favourite at home. That feels about right. I, I don't know if they can put it on them more than that because Penn State, whilst they've been disappointing, are still a decent football team. Uh, so that, to me, seems bang on. I'd steer clear of having a, a punt on this game. But in that, it's still you know a two-score comfortable win for Michigan. What do you think about Shea Patterson... Uh, and that Michigan offense and their chances of getting going against, like we said, a young Penn State defense, but a good one. What a, What is his chance of putting all these pieces together? We've seen it sporadically throughout the year in various games, various quarters, various halves, but he still hasn't lit it up like we were kind of expecting. For me, today's this week's the time that it happens. I don't know how you see that one. Uh, yeah, I'm very much with you. I was expecting a lot more from him, and we haven't seen it. His pass game has been flat. I think he's done more damage with his legs at the quarterback position than he has through the air. Consistently around that 50% completion rate, which I just don't rate at this level. I mean, you take that to the pros, and if you can get you know 50 early on in your career, bump that up to 60s, then you're doing okay. At the college level, you need to be better. You need to be better when you have the elite playmakers that he has around him. I mean, is it Donovan Peoples-Jones at wide receiver was the top wide receiver commit coming out? So you know he's got athleticism to all ends. And if you are not able to consistently get the ball in your playmaker's hands, if the ball's hitting the deck 50% of the time, you're not doing a good enough job in my opinion. I agree, but I also think that comes down to, and I've been very critical of Harbour at the head coaching position, and and I see it with Mark Richter at Miami, is you've got to do things schematically to get these guys open. And you've got to do, you've got to use motion, you've got to use different formations, you've got to do things to allow those guys to go and make those plays in space. But I do agree, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Nico Collins is the guy on the other side, but they've been coming on a little bit lately and having impact. Now, whilst Shea Patterson and those receivers in that offense are never going to light up the scoreboard, they are efficient-ish or efficient enough. And I think that is where the difference is going to be. I, th- I, s- I just see this as a clean game for Michigan. 
nothing about Michigan makes me think, oh, there's something that it might be a weakness, but their floor and their ceiling of all phases of the game are very close together. And the opposite is this is the case for Penn State. Trace McSorley on his good day, whoa, hard to stop. On his bad days, they struggle to score. So for me, I'm thinking like a 30-20 game, Michigan, maybe a little bit more wouldn't surprise me, uh, providing that they can get Karan Higdon going and keep Trace McSorley quiet, which yeah, I think they will. I'm with you. Uh, I have Michigan by 11.5 points. Whoa. Is that the over? No, no, no I'm saying spot on. They're oh, going to win by 11.5 points. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll take them at 10 points, but yeah. All right. The probably the biggest game so far this year, although I think it's overrated. The number one team in the country, Alabama Crimson Tide, head down to Baton Rouge. Overrated. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, And take on the number three team in the country, the LSU Tigers, who do, in their defense, hold the toughest schedule on the season. Uh, But I don't think. Here's another one to me that is not going to be close uh, in the same way that George is going to blow out, or not blow out Kentucky, but beat Kentucky handily. To me, this one, this is everything that LSU doesn't want to deal with. They don't do... We talked about inaccurate quarterbacks last time. Joe Burrow is currently striking at, what, 54% completion percentage. He struggles on third downs. That doesn't bode well against a Crimson Tide defense that is starting to to kick into gear. And they're going to absolutely throttle LSU. I do not see this one being... It may not be super high scoring, but I think you're going to get a sense that LSU doesn't have a chance to even score enough points to win the game. I like that you say that this is what LSU doesn't want to come up against. This is what anyone doesn't want to come up against. (laughs) Yeah. This team is historic at the moment, but at the same time, there is a chorus of echoes out there saying they haven't played anyone yet. And that's fair. I mean, you can only play who's put up in front of you and Alabama are just crushing everyone that is put up in front of them. They haven't had anyone get within three scores of them this year. That doesn't mean they haven't played anyone. It means that they're so much better than whoever uh, they're playing. Yeah, I mean, they've the only ranked team they've had so far is A&M and they played them at home, who I don't think are all that much chop. I don't believe that they've really come up against a decent foe yet, where LSU have. They've had a number of really good matchups so far. And these this is a different team than any other Alabama side that they've come up against. So for me, it's not lay down, this is done, this is the best team Alabama team ever. I mean, don't get me wrong, they, they could be. I'm not ruling it out, but I want to see it happen first. There's not enough evidence for me to just say Alabama are going to roll over the top of LSU here and completely dominate this matchup. This game is played in Baton Rouge, one of the most hostile environments in all of college football, and Georgia found that out the hard way two weeks ago. That's a very good Georgia team too, one that you say is going to crush Kentucky, for, for you to say that Alabama are going to come in here and then flip the script to not only beat LSU but beat them comfortably, you're saying it's like a five-touchdown turnaround than that Georgia team, which is huge. I've never bought into that transference theory and all that sort of stuff. That's not the case, but I don't disagree with you about the question marks around their schedule. I mean, Tennessee's down. Missouri hasn't won a game in conference. Arkansas's on the way back, but they're struggling. A&M have been... They're probably a plucky team in the SEC, but off the mark a little bit. Old Miss, whilst they score points, they can't play defense. And I say score points, but they only scored seven against Alabama. Their biggest tests are going to come in the next few weeks. And you look at LSU, who still look patchy. They don't have enough offense to keep up. They just cannot score enough to possibly hang with one of the most prolific offenses, which I never thought I'd say about an Alabama team, uh, effective, prolific offenses that we have seen. And 
they they're never going to be able to run the ball. Nick Brissett's going to get he's going to struggle. Uh, you know, I, I just I just do not see it. LSU's highest score they've put up this year forty five points against Ole Miss. If you're using the comparison theory, Ole Miss uh, they scored forty five. Alabama scored sixty two. Now, if you're using the same theory, that's a you know three touchdown difference, uh, and I've got no faith in LSU. I haven't all year, but there was a week there where you were like, "Yeah, they're a good football team." Remember that their defense is good. I, I don't have a I don't have a doubt that their defense is good. But that's but- where this difference is going to come. My feeling is not so much that LSU can't keep up; it's that Alabama aren't going to be able to score the fifty plus points that they have every other week. I see them being restricted to under 30 points. Okay. I- LSU aren't going to be able to score more than 21. And that's going to have to take some help somewhere. They're just not. This Alabama defense, whilst the offense has run the show early in the year for the Tide, this defense is starting to get up to speed now. And I say up to speed, I mean in the ballpark competing with the offense. It's going to be like 35-10. I'm saying 35-10, they cover. It's it's home field advantage is not necessarily an advantage against Alabama. It is this is the best team I've ever seen play. Okay, so Tiger Stadium is always an advantage and massive call, really, but for me, I agree that Alabama are an elite unit, but what I'm really excited about is the opportunity to see them against another elite team or another, you know, really good team at least. Really good. I can handle really good until this week. Which we haven't seen yet. So this is their chance to make their case to show that they are actually everything that they're talked about. Everything as advertised. We're going to find out this week. So, I mean, if you are in any way interested in college football, you've got to be watching this at 10.30 Sunday morning. It's going to be huge. Yeah, I'll watch it. I wouldn't surprise me if the game's done at halftime. Uh, I just Joe Burrow is not going to be able to get that offense going, and you're going to have Deontay Thompson and Patrick Sertain and Savion Smith just running around doing their thing. Anyway, let us move on. So uh, let's just get predictions first. So you think they're going to win by 21 plus? Yep, I'm saying like 35. I'm I'm I'm, even, I'm locking it in. Okay. 35-10. I will take uh, the LSU plus 15 that's available at the moment. Oh, you reckon it's going to be that close? Interesting. All right. Other games that you may be interested in. Pitt at Virginia is on Saturday, Australian time at 10 a.m. Colorado at Arizona may be interesting at 1 p.m. Now, here is your taste of wedding invite games. Texas A&M at Auburn, Michigan State at Maryland. Oklahoma State at Baylor. Quickly, who's winning that one, Will? Uh, Oklahoma State, but I am... Nervous. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes. All right, Iowa at Purdue, still banging that Purdue drum, but that's a big game in the Big Ten uh, as well. Boston College at Virginia Tech in a game for the ACC, particularly the coastal relevancy. Utah at Arizona State could be an interesting one uh, to see if Utah are all they're cracked up to be in the Pac-12 South. UConn and Tulsa. Will's just ignoring me here. UConn and Tulsa. What do you want from me? Both are one and seven, and both are winless in the American Conference. So maybe cool one of those will get a win. All right, Notre Dame at Northwestern. If Notre Dame are going to lose a game, this is probably the one. Uh, Oklahoma at Texas Tech. Stanford at Washington. Maybe, maybe not. That'll be all right. And Cal at Washington State. Not that I think that's going to be good, but. You know, Cow beat Washington last week and maybe Washington State, the dream run ends. I don't actually know. Yeah, that one feels like the letdown. They, yeah. You know, there was the letdown opportunity against Stanford, but everyone knew Stanford were a good team. This is the one where it's kind of really let your guard down and have Cow, who are a decent football side, come in and provide that upset. All right. It's time for Aaron's weekly schedule. It's back. It didn't help me with two Miami losses, but all right, let's go. Summer is here, all right. The night temperature has dipped to a pleasant 26 degrees. You're sleeping naked, covered in a wet towel with the fan maxed out. 
while your power bill skyrockets, you're getting little respite from the impenetrable heat surrounding you. The cool side of the bed doesn't stay cool for very long, and your testicles are moister than they should be for 2.30 in the morning. The 1 million beers you had the night before are not contributing positively to your hydration, or lack thereof. You go downstairs to towel down your groin before realising you might as well stay up and catch the early slate of games. Make sure you put something down to absorb the moisture you'll no doubt result from sitting on the couch. The 2.30 time slot is for those that sleep hot normally, but even hotter in the summer. Texas A&M at Auburn may be interesting. Michigan State at Maryland may be interesting. Oklahoma State at Baylor will be interesting. May be interesting. All right. The old couple that are up early and charging into the day, not because they want to, but their slightly senile Cocker Spaniel Sophie needs to go for a walk. And what better time than 6am Sunday morning? What a money drainer she is though. Two hip replacements, regular grooming and porterhouse steak for dinner is a regular occurrence. She can barely squat to piss. 300 metres is enough before she wants to turn for home, panting to the point of heaving. But before getting home, she half squats, half stands on the pavement to squirt out a brown splat somewhere around the consistency of cake batter. Frank pulls out a bag, inverts it over his hand and scrapes up the warm mess. Sophie, Frank and Betsy return home to collapse in their recliners and do fuck all for the rest of the day and possibly their lives. They definitely aren't watching the 6am slot, but you should be. That was graphic. I didn't need that. <laughs> We've got Georgia at Kentucky, West Virginia at Texas, Penn State at Michigan is at 6.15, and Iowa at Purdue. You need three screens for that time slot. All right. You didn't think you would still be doing this. Two consecutive days of cricket. You went from being a fat little kid trying to make your way in the world to a solid athlete, and now Father Time has got your balls in a vice. The fast mediums you used to bowl have deteriorated to right arm slow and taking a quick single is a thing of the past. Your clothing decisions have changed from short sleeves or long sleeves to do I wear my pants above my gut or below it? Many of your innings are short-lived as your VB stubby sits behind middle stump while a skinny 14-year-old off-spinner who spins it about as far as Mark Waugh used to somehow manages to have you in fits. You're more likely to make double figures in beers drunk rather than runs. The middle-aged fat cricketer appreciation time slot is 9.45. That was good gear. (laughs) Notre Dame at Northwestern and, of course, the big matchup number one and number three in the country, Alabama at LSU, is at 10.30. We are busting through this. We're on the back end now. Championship draft time. Will, who have you got? All right, so I'm picking first this week. You are picking first, which I think is going to help you, but... Well, I have Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and LSU. So that's and they are sitting at one, one, three, four, and wherever Ohio State sit, ten. Okay, so I'm happy with that. I'm going to stay. I'm not making any moves. Oh, just coming into your shell lately here. Uh, I think I've got four. The four teams who are most likely, as it stands, to end up in the playoff that are available to me. Okay, I have got Clemson at two, Michigan at five, Georgia at six, and Oklahoma at seven. So I started a bit iffy, but I'm start. They're starting to make their way back up the polls, and there's probably a couple of games this week that are going to allow me to change things up. So, oh gee, I hope Georgia beat Kentucky because they ain't beaming beating Bama. All right, it so, is. So you're staying. Steady? I'm staying still too. Yep, I got no need to shuffle things around. Uh, it is time, though, for my favourite time, the Name Your Bold Prediction. Here we go. The new names have really reinvigorated this segment. Yeah. Really excited about it. Uh, we're both pretty coy about our names here. <laughs> yeah. So who's who's going to go first? You want me to kick it off or you yeah, want to go? Yeah, you go first. Okay, here we go. Hurricane season is over in the Sunshine State. Oh, okay. So my prediction this week is that the tough times that Florida had last week as a state are well and truly in the rearview mirror. Okay. This week, we are going to see the Florida Gators win against Missouri. Yep. We're going to see USF beat Tulane. We're going to see UCF beat Temple. 
We're going to see the Hurricanes beat Duke. So all of those guys are favourites, but there's, yeah, you're there's really going out to leave me. You're going out to leave me here. And then we are going to see Florida State beat NC State on the road. Oh wow! So all five of those Florida teams are going to get back in the winners' circle this week. That multi's paying a, over twelve bucks. Okay. Good cash. I uh, couldn't give you the FIU FAU because they're playing each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But those five there are all going to win, and that is my bold prediction. Not bad, not bad. I feel like when you've got volume, even if they are favourites, then uh, it does become slightly more bold. And speaking of volume, here is my pick. My name for this week is Who Let the Home Dogs Out? Oh, okay. So I have got seven, count that, seven home underdogs, and six of these seven will cover or, of course, win outright. Okay. I have got Oklahoma at Texas Tech. Okay. I have got Alabama at LSU, hedging my bets. <laughs> uh, you've got Alabama. They're at minus. At... So you're taking LSU? Yeah. Not not for the win. They're at plus 15. Okay. So you're taking them plus to 15. To cover. Yeah. Okay. I'm taking Notre Dame at Northwestern. Northwestern plus nine and a half. Okay. I'm taking BC at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech at plus two points. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Georgia at Kentucky. Kentucky to cover up Georgia there, so at plus nine. Yep. Oklahoma State at Baylor. Baylor at plus seven and a half. Okay. Michigan State at Maryland at plus two. Okay. So I'm going to say six out of those seven will cover. Okay. I mean, that's... That would be interesting. If you could jag six or seven, then you've done a good job. So I don't think the Alabama one's coming in for me, so it's really the other six That's that the I'm one I have at. confidence in. <laughs> uh, okay. So you happy with that? Is that bold enough for yeah, you? Yeah, it's bold. I like it. All right. Who let the home dogs out? And what was yours? Uh... Uh, hurricane season's over in the sunshine state. Yeah, so it just makes me think of our license plate that we got yeah, when yeah. we bought. I've the still co- got that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, no, it's in the next room. Okay, let's let's have a look at that later. Let's take that little walk down memory lane. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, let's hit on the punt, Will. It is time for you to not lose us any more money. <laughs> I am here to bring you winners. Yeah, we're going three weeks in a row here. Unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. But no, really looking forward to this week's college football slate. And I think we've got a good chance to make some money. So I'm going to fly through this because we're uh, rambling on a bit here. Firstly, I'm going back to the well. Virginia Tech as uh, an underdog at home. They're only two points, but I'm going to take that plus two against uh, Boston. So we're going to put three units on that. For them to uh, win, and we'll take the two points as well. Uh, my next one, we're, we're starting to swing for the fences a little bit here because oh. we are in a hole, so I know <laughs> it's not what Aaron wants to hear, but we're going for a bit of a, a multi here where we're going to throw some underdogs together, similar vein to you, but we're picking them all to win. Oh. <laughs> We're going Colorado at Arizona to win. So that's at 245. We're going Ooh, gee, Arizona Michigan. Looked, Arizona looked good last week. <laughs> We're taking Maryland at home to beat Michigan State. Yeah. At 215. So they're uh, underdog there. And then we're also going to take uh, Iowa at Purdue. Uh, they're 225 underdogs there. So we're taking those three underdogs. That's uh, Colorado, Maryland, and Iowa. Multi that together gets you about $13.50. I'm chucking two units on that. So there's there's some big coin that we're going to make back. And the last one is uh, a few certainties that um, I think are going to win. We're molting some certainties together on the flip side of it here. Okay. So, I'm saying Auburn is going to win at home against Texas A&M. Okay. $1.53. I'm saying Miami's going to win at Duke. You sound confident there. You well, know. I just thought about the last time I bet on Miami. <laughs> but this week, they're good for it. Uh, playing at home, $1.29 there. And we're taking Oregon as well. 
against UCLA. Yes, UCLA are improving, but Oregon will win that game. It's in Autzen as well, I think, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's in Autzen, so yeah. okay. UCLA will have trouble with that. Okay, so those three together get us 263 odds, around that 270, whatever you can find. So I'm putting five units on that to, to make us some good coin. I feel good about that one. Okay, I hope you do because you've picked three favourites. All right, that brings us to the end of our 20th episode and our week 10 preview. Please make sure, as always, you do hit us up on Twitter and on Instagram at College Football Down Under. Tell all your friends about us. Leave us that five-star review. More than happy to have a chat to you. We're getting to the pointy end of college football season. Love to hear from more of our listeners and supporters out there. So, my name is Aaron, that is Will over there, and we will see you next time.